This is the Orange Podcast. Conversations with Orange City Council for the local community. And coming up on today's show, when people are worried about something and there are cries that the council should do something about it, are they on the right track or not? Also today, a long-awaited reopening of an indoor swimming pool. And why are Orange residents so interested in the future of how housing should happen? Should we go outwards? Should we go up? That's all coming up this week on the Orange Podcast. You're on the Orange Podcast. This is Alan Reader. It's been one of those weeks where all across social media and in the papers, there's been calls for Orange City Council to do something. You should fix this problem. Um, it shows a, a level of community understanding about how that uh, how that sort of stuff works, and particularly when there's some major dilemmas for the community to face, such as COVID. To find out some more, we're joined by Orange City Council CEO Dave Waddell. Dave, is it frustrating sometimes when people call on the council to do something that's way out of what we normally do? Oh, it is, Alan. It is, Alan. And a lot of it always comes back to having three levels of government and the powers of those of those levels and what we can and can't do. Yeah, planes landing at airports. Why don't we stop it? Why don't we? Okay, I know the answer. For example, Orange Airport, why don't you stop it? Well, under Commonwealth law, all the airports were handed to councils under condition. One of the conditions is you cannot stop airlines flying into the airport at any time. So I have no powers. I can't meet them with, you know police and rangers and things at the airport because they can't shut the airport. You do have a role in making sure it complies with government regulations that we've, the Orange City Council has always done. My word, that's exactly right. That's to do with luggage and screening and passengers and, yep, we, we have limited powers. If you get on a plane up until this week, if you get on a plane in Victoria and try to leave, you've got a permit, haven't you? You've got a permit. You're, you're waved off by the police and the health authorities as you get on the plane. The permit is a permit for, you know, um, emergency workers. Yeah, all that sort of things. Um, or if you've had a dead relative or something. Um, and, of course, when you get here, you're met by police and the health authorities who check all the paperwork as well. Are we talking thousands of people, Dave? No. The, the last two flight corporates, I think, had three or four on each flight. So we're not talking about 30 ladies coming to do shopping as a tourist initiative. Nope, not many at all. And for the time being, air corporates, uh, fly corporates now waiting to see how best they can comply with government policy, but at least on Friday's flight did not happen. Well, I, I think they don't actually know yet what the detail of the New South Wales government ruling is. I don't know what the detail is. Um, all flights from Victoria will go to Sydney Airport, whether that means they can then get checked somehow and bounce back to Orange, don't know. We'll find out. Another thing Orange City Council should be doing by the, from the people from the back row, um, we should be stopping people from Sydney coming here. Is, uh, is that something Orange... Can we set up a, a, a checkpoint at Lucknow? A checkpoint at Lucknow, rangers, um, various managers standing there. No, we cannot. Of course, it's a state highway, so I could never block a state highway. I could probably block a council road if I really looked into it. But um, for every person who said block, I'd have a lot more saying let them in and spend their money. And that's the sort of quandary we're in at the moment. When it comes to micro-events, so the fire Festival, Farmers Markets, um, can our Orange City Council stop the farmers, farmers Markets? Well, we're part of Orange 360, which in, in the case of the fire Festival, you know, we're part of that umbrella organisation. And a lot of work was done before the fire Festival in telling every venue, every operator under that banner to, to have a COVID plan, um, Full instructions were given, so I was quite comfortable with Fire Festival, as long as the venues played. 
the um, what was the other one you mentioned? Up? Farmers markets. Oh, farmers markets. Yeah, council. Council quite rightly a few a couple of months ago said no farmers markets on our land. It was deep in that COVID crisis, the initial one. Um, they've since said yes, you can have farm, farmers markets, which happen in the showground shed. You know, subject again to a whole lot of conditions. One person per family. The farmers markets have actually invented a really good COVID plan. So really, it is a pick up your groceries and go. When people call for the council to stop people coming to town, um, a lot of the businesses that are involved have their own COVID safe plans. So the farmers market organisers, it's up to them to organise it as best they can. Absolutely. Look, we could we could close down things like the farmers markets if we really tried, um, using DAs and planning laws and things. But um, it's pretty tricky stuff. And then of course you flip it over, and you run the risk of being accused of stifling business and their rights. This is not an easy situation. I'm sure lawyers would have a ball challenging some of the government directions. In the midst of this tricky situation, there are some bright points. We had a COVID case confirmed last week, but none of those contacts have have proved a confirmed case afterwards. That's right. We uh, set up a showground testing facility, Uh, 250 on the first day, 150 on the Sunday, no new cases, which I feel we dodged a bullet because apparently there were 10 close contacts of the one individual so that was really good that was good quick response by health um, with the testing clinic and and it paid off and this shows how well the community is doing i think so i think we're all we all tend to follow the rules Um, maybe not so much so in bondi but orange seems to be happy to follow the rules dave Bledel, thanks for your time today thanks alan have a good weekend pray for rain People who love swimming in orange have to be the most determined on the planet. Up until this week, and because of COVID, it's been outdoor swimming at the Orange Aquatic Centre. The water has been heated, but you can't heat the air. Ellie Bryce caught up with the centre manager, Ian Jones, to find out what's about to change. Thanks very much for that, Alan. I'm sitting here with Ian Jones, who is our Aquatic Centre manager. And Ian's come to chat to us about the fact that we've we're so close to seeing the 25 metre indoor pool open. Ian, welcome. Good morning, Ellie, and welcome. Uh, yes, we are very close. We aim to open the 25 metre pool at six o'clock on Monday the 10th, which is next Monday. And Ian, I guess, you know, going back into March, we obviously were forced to close the pool. It was under the state government's recommendations and the feds. And I guess, you know, we had, we had to comply with that, but we sort of used that to our advantage. Is that right? Look, we closed, on, we closed our 25 on the 23rd of March, our, 20, our 50 closed on the, 24, the 24th of March, and during this downtime, we have taken advantage of it. We have resurfaced and repainted the toddler's pool. The long-term effect of that is the fact that it will give us longevity to the toddler's pool, and we'll have better quality, um, just general overall better quality and a lot, a lot longer life on the pool itself so we've actually saved we'll make in the future we'll be making quite a quite a large saving to the um, people of orange really yeah fantastic and i guess you know there's been a few regular users and even those that just like to pop in and out that have noticed work's probably taken a little bit longer than we thought it would but that's obviously just you know some bumps in the roads as you get with any construction or upgrade isn't it most definitely and timelines change regularly and also availability of contractors um, also the weather um as you can appreciate, you know, orange goes from one extreme to the other quite quickly, like today. <laughs> so um, 
Now, our regulars have been awesome. We've had regular people in the 50-metre pool, which is currently being held at about 26 degrees, or 26.3, actually, for the last five months. So our regulars are regulars. They're diehards. They swim every day. They've got to know the staff. We've actually got to know them, which has been an absolute positive, which has been wonderful, particularly for me being new into town in the last eight months. It's been a massive positive for me, so I actually got to know some of our locals. And... Um, for the staff, it's been, they have been, my staff have been marvellous. I cannot speak highly enough of them. They've been absolutely amazing. And the people, I think the, the people, our regulars who come to the pool, they've all acknowledged that. My staff have been extraordinary. And Ian, we were only just talking about earlier when we were looking at the fact that we'll open again on Monday, that there are some of these regulars that are really excited to get back in the water. And I guess some that we're really trying to cater for and make sure we're all ready to go for them. Is that right? There are. We have a bunch of the girls, or girls as we affectionately call them, that come in their regulars. Um, Val and Norma are the two main ringleaders. They're, I'll be nice to say, in their mid-70s. And uh, they'll probably hit me on Monday for this. Um, but they come to the pool because not only is it a physical thing, but it's also a social thing. They know all our lifeguards. They are certainly um, advocates for the pool. Um, the interaction at the pool is a very positive thing for them so we've bumped the temperature up a little bit so we're catering for those guys who are not only swimming but those who need to do water rehab those who just want to walk in the water and have their space so we are allocating four per lane same timetable as before come in on the hour um, at about a quarter to the hour we give the guys a wave and say hey guys you go about five minutes and then about 10 minutes prior they all jump out we've got access to the showers so they can have a shower and they can leave nice and warm. And we can, we've got some seats out the front so we can keep, if it is raining like today, we can hold them inside safely. And um, that way they can enjoy the inside area before, we, before they go to the pool hall. Um, it has now gone on to roughly four and a half months. We've put an automatic extension of five months onto everyone's card. The only difference is what we're asking people to do when they come in, to come and see us and say, hey, I've got my card here. And we will renew it every, every time someone comes in. So... If you don't come in for a month, you are not being, we're not going to start your card until you actually come in so you're not being penalised. So we just, they just get extended by five months regardless. So um, it's something that um, council is very, very aware of and we want to make sure we look after our patrons. So we throw an extra couple of weeks on top of that again just to make sure that everyone gets an opportunity to come in and have a swim and update their cards and passes. So it may be a little bit slower through the reception area, but we do ask people to be patient, but we'll get, we'll get you there. And Ian, finally, obviously, we'll get the 25 open and then it's on to the toddlers and the little splash zone there, and that's sort of coming along nicely with some few new features, I think, that someone might notice as soon as they walk in the door shortly. We are hoping people notice the very, our, our favourite mushroom um, and I'm hoping we get an opportunity to bring Millie back down so she can stand beside her mushroom and have a look at the paint job that's actually been put on the mushroom. We had great feedback from the competition and a local artist uh, has done that. So Matt's been working on that tirelessly and we're very, very happy. So we're super excited to actually reopen the toddlers maybe in a couple of weeks' time. But we are super excited to open it and um, let people see for themselves the new colour scheme. At Orange City Council, we regularly put stuff up on our website and people can have their say about a range of topics. One that's absolutely gone off this week has been some coverage in, on our local website of a new housing strategy. There's lots of interest, it would seem, in which the direction Orange should go. Should we go up? Should we go out? Should we go in? To find out some more 
our Director of Planning, Mark Hodges. Mark, is, are there three options? Is it out, up or in? Alan, I think it's going to be a combination of all. Um, I think uh, if you look at where are we going to be in the next 20 years, we average around about 240 houses a year. Um, you look at how much land that actually takes up. Uh, when I first came to town 15 years ago, 16 years ago, uh, Rosewood Water Tower was pretty much the edge of the northern town, uh, part of the town. Now you can go right up there for another five minutes driving. So uh, really the big question is can we afford to continue to sprawl like that across the board? That puts big pressure on resources such as, or the infrastructure like, what are our roads like up that way? Um, how much water and, uh, and sewer assets do we have up there to be able to feed water, water um, or those, those critical infrastructure points to the houses? So that's why it's important to get strategic and start to think what will we look like into the future? And I don't think sprawl on its own is just one answer. So that's where it will be. We'll have to make a call of saying, can we go up a bit higher in the CBD area, like on the fringe of it, so we can... That, that also supports our business. Um, if you've got more people living close by, they walk into town um, and, uh, and shop, spend some money. So um, it's good to have that, that business support as well arising out of house, housing strategy. Um, and then it also starts to look at the style of housing that we, we're going to need into the future. And that's what it's about. It's about evidence gathering. What do we need? Um, the ageing population as well, we allow for them, um, as in we need to as a city. Um, so where can the, the single older person live into the future? Even down to affordable housing, um, where, where could that go throughout the city? One of the issues that's come up from time to time is, is how, how much growth Orange can afford. Um, People haven't driven past a new housing division lately. They go by and they're surprised by a whole heap of houses. Are we growing more than we used to? We've certainly been for the last 15 years on a growth spurt. It really hasn't slowed down. And, um, to, and even at the moment, the economic climate, we're still progressing really strongly. Um, we're averaging between another 30 and four, oh, two, sorry, 20 and 30 development applications a week coming in, like extra work. We have around about... Oh, 120 development applications with our staff at the moment for assessment. That's worth 110 million bucks. Um, so uh, we are still getting the strong uh, need for, for development growth in town, so it's fantastic to see. Is a strategy about trying to limit that or trying to facilitate it in the best way? It's about the appropriate use of our resources, um, so land use, so we don't just waste our land or even uh, waste where we put our key infrastructure points, so the roads, you know, this water and sewer, um, using the demographic data to actually tell us what our needs are rather than somebody just comes in and says, I want to subdivide this land because they have just thought about it or just want to. Uh, make it strategic so it actually fits what Orange will need and look like into the future. One of the ways in which people can have their say and one of the things the council is interested in hearing at this point is from landowners, uh, people who've owned some blocks on the edge of town um, and they want, that's their superannuation, presumably in, in due course, but are they going to sell up in five years, 10 years, 30 years or do they want to have their surrounding bit of bush? Is that the sort of feedback you're after as well? Yeah, that certainly is because now's a good chance to say what do you think you'll be doing and where can we grow? Over the top of that, we then lay... Things like where we can put sewer mains, water mains to service those blocks. Um, but we need to know who's actually interested in moving that way. When you're expanding, there, there are parts of the community that want to say, we're going to need to look after agriculture. Is that part of the mix? 
Yeah, it's, it's certainly an important part. Um, we need to look at all aspects of it through, um, you know, where will we get our, our food into the future? Even what, where are the important uh, ecological or environmental areas, so the, the tree stands, that type of thing. So how do we let the, t- the city grow to what it needs to, what the, what the actual demands are? Look after that, so the Tawak soils out there towards uh, Mount Canobolis, they're beautiful volcanic soils that are highly productive. We need to look after those into the future. Um, um, also some of the endangered uh, trees that are around the, the tree stands that are around the town look after them because we are the colour city um, and the other areas yeah let's look at that and see how we can grow into those areas more as you draft this strategy there'll be expertise professionals there'll be sub, there'll be developers but in what what does the community add to it why do you need to hear their point of view oh we're really keen to find out what does the community think the town should or would look like in 20 years so where would they like to see growth and what type of growth would they like to see with that so um, you know if, if um, I think I think if you look at some of the types of developments we've we've assessed in the last um, even the last six months people are getting used to more medium density and even higher buildings the DPI building looks fantastic nice big clean tall building um, in the center of uh, oh, just on the fringe of our CBD um, we mightn't have thought that we'd have a building like that before um, up in that area there. So it does change the way we look at things. And so we're keen to find out off the community what do people um, expect and desire into the future. Thanks for your time today, Mark. If people want to have their say, go to the Your Say Orange site, fill in some surveys, leave a remark and, or even put in a formal submission. Mark, thanks for your time today. Thanks, Alan. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the Orange Podcast this week. Remember to subscribe where you get your podcasts. We'll catch you next week.